There comes a point in our lives when we strive to define our true meaning and purpose. Many of us move through our existence day after day, living through the same cycles and patterns that leave us feeling unfulfilled and searching for more. For those of us seeking a way to transform life, to capture fulfillment in every moment, to redefine how we perceive the truths of our reality so we can live this life to its fullest. This is the Live This Life Podcast. I'm your host, Heath Cummings. I'm here to inspire you to ask yourself the question every day. Are you living or are you killing time? In today's episode, it is my privilege to bring to you someone who has an incredible story that resonated with me so deeply for so many reasons. Josh Perry is a professional BMX rider who suffered a major head injury in 2010 at the age of 21 years old. That injury ultimately uncovered a large tumor taking up the left side of his brain, and Josh went through several battles with this condition before he got things under control and took some amazing steps to keep himself in the game as a result. His experiences motivated him to transform his life, his health, and his overall well-being through changing his mindset and nutrition, and he's helping many others with his efforts and his foundation. Josh, welcome to the show, my man. Thanks, Heath. I appreciate the intro, and uh, thanks for your time. Yeah, thanks for joining us. I mean, your story is definitely one that really resonated with me, given all the health challenges that I've been through, a couple of the fights with cancer that I've been through as well, and some of the steps that I took that kind of went against what my doctors had had given me for tips and stuff, and a lot of it was through diet. And I'm still learning things. Ten years later, I'm adopting whatever I possibly can, and I'm hoping to learn some stuff from this conversation and and maybe future other ones with you as well. But I'm definitely excited to share your story and uh, your, your wealth of knowledge on some of this stuff with the listeners. Yeah, awesome. I appreciate the opportunity. And it's just great to connect with people that have had similar experiences, whether it's, it's health related, or it's any kind of adversity, because I feel like that's when you start to really learn who you are. And I'd argue more of us uh, tend to find out we're stronger than we thought. And it leads us to this route of optimizing our life, because there's a vision we want in our mind, whether it's to overcome a health challenge, a business challenge, a relationship, whatever it is. And if we operate from that, there's crazy things that are unfathomable that can come positively, but it sometimes takes that that roadblock or that speed bump to kind of wake us up. And that seems like what uh, the case was for you and I. Yeah. A lot of people say that some of the worst things they went through were also some of the most valuable things they went through. I can say that. Don't want to go through them again, but I wouldn't trade those experiences for the world. Yeah. Yeah. I get, I get, uh, people telling me I'm crazy when I say like, no, like they're like, oh, that's going to be the worst thing that ever happened to you. And I was like, no, it was the greatest because it, it shaped who I am today. And it, it taught me so much about my reality that I was creating. And I didn't really understand that. And if it hadn't been for that, I'd be living a life that I probably wouldn't be happy with and be full of like regret and resentment rather than just what I'm doing today. So it's, yeah, I mean, it's just perspective, right? I mean, things can be right or wrong. depends on how you look at it. Yeah. You had an awesome quote that you had about fear. I heard you say something about fear on one of your previous uh, interviews that you did something about it being just a thought or something like that. Do you remember what that was? Yeah. It was actually the first tattoo ever got spheres is a thought. And then on this arm says, uh, thoughts can be changed. That's awesome, man. Because I mean, my, my understanding of fear is just an emotion that's driven by the mind and what you think and how you perceive something creates that emotion and you can change it and you can change the emotion. And that's, what's going to influence your behavior coming after that one way or another. So it's just, I think that, um, it was really profound to me at the moment and it has stayed with me and it's just, 
uh, increased its meaning to me um, every day. And so I just love sharing that because I think if people can understand you're not your emotions, you're not your thoughts, and you can change either one of them, which will heavily influence your behavior, you can create a different reality than you experience. A little bit more difficult, but it's simple. Uh, it just takes some time. Yeah. And that's, I think that's one of the coolest things about some of the stuff with your story. Like it's an, you get an amazing story of survival. You get an amazing inspirational story of how you've, you know, done things with your mindset and you've done things with your diet, but also just chatting with you before we hit record, you know, a few weeks ago and having some of your spiritual perspectives and some of the things that your mindset is, uh, how your mindset is and the way that you feel about controlling your reality and stuff. We definitely want to dive into that if we can get the conversation going down those roads. But, um, yeah, I'm excited. Plus cool synchronicity that you, you grew up exactly where I'm likely to live one of these days in Cape Cod, Massachusetts in the town where we go and spend, you know, four or five, six weeks a summer, which was, was kind of nuts to hear about that as well. Um, so whenever I have somebody come on the show, one of the first questions I ever ask them is, what does it mean to live your best life according to Josh Perry? Yeah, to me today, it's a little different than it was when I was younger. When I was younger, it was to become a professional BMX athlete. And I did that. Um, and then I learned quickly that that's short lived. <laughs> and uh, today to live my best life is just to be as close to my ideal version of my best life in my mind. And that to me is a life of nonstop progression. Uh, there is no destination for me. Uh, it's just, I mean, as cliche as that is, it's being passed around a lot, that phrase, but it's just the more that I'm creating my ideal life in my mind, or I should say in reality, that's in my mind. That's, I mean, if I'm healthy, I'm happy. Like that's all bonus. So I just like whatever I can do today, that's aligned with the vision I'm working towards, which it's funny because it's always, it's always evolving. It's always progressing. So it's never, I'm never going to reach it, but that's what excites me. And that's what keeps me moving forward. So if I'm, if I'm doing the things that I truly enjoy doing each day to become a better person inside and out and just do the things I enjoy and like that sense of freedom to be able to do that, I'm living my best life and I mean, I'm alive, so I'm already winning. Yeah. It's a great mindset to have because you're whatever comes around the corner, you know, you're expecting it, you're welcoming it, whatever, whatever shows up for you, you're going to make the best of it. That's honestly the best mindset anybody can have. Yeah. I mean, that's why I work out first thing in the morning too. It's like, I mean, I wish I didn't have to work out and I could just be strong and I could increase that strength and I could change my body without working out. But I actually do enjoy working out now over the years as it's evolved. But on a mindset level, it's like, if I can create a struggle, an obstacle, a challenge first thing in my day, five days a week, six days a week, four days, a week, whatever it is, and then overcome it, that just builds this unconscious, but also conscious learning and attribute of who I am as a person. And so when things come my way, and I learned this with BMX, you know, when things come your way that you didn't create as a challenge, if you're starting your day by creating a challenge for yourself to overcome, what do, what do you think it's going to be like when a challenge that you didn't want comes your way? You're probably going to be able to overcome it better than before. And with BMX, it was like, oh, you want to do this trick? Cool. Well, how many times are you willing to hit the ground from really high up to, to succeed? And that really built the foundation um, on top of, you know, starting getting to exercise after injuries and learning the hard way. But yeah, I'm a firm believer if you start your day with a challenge, other challenges that are going to come your way are going to be easier to overcome um, than, than not. So I just, I just love talking about that too, because it's just like, it's all the mind, you know, the mind's a muscle. You can, you can strengthen it or you can weaken it. There's something to be said about doing workouts in the morning too. Like when you first get up, I've recently adopted not hitting the snooze button at all either because you get right up out of bed. I, I just heard somebody talk about that recently. I can't remember who it was, but hitting the snooze button is like 
a smaller version of that procrastination in life and working out at the end of the day. I know it's not for everybody to get up first thing in the morning and go hit the gym, but you know, not hitting the snooze button when you first wake up, it, it like throws out that mindset. I'm going to do something later. And the same thing with working out in the morning, you know, it's, you get up mega early and you're already out of the gym, showered and fired up for your day before most people even wake up. There's something about that mindset as well. That just kind of makes you feel a little bit more empowered than only you came over a challenge, but you did it way before a lot of other people even, woke their brains up for the day it's it's an awesome mindset to have yeah i mean and you're also casting a vote towards the type of person you want to become you know you hitting the snooze unconsciously you're voting towards the type of person you don't really want consciously we say i want to be like this i want to have that but when it comes down to the opportunity to take action that's going to lead you there you hitting snooze is a great example like that's casting a vote towards what you don't want to be true about yourself in your life versus get up out of bed go even if you just go for a walk or just get out of bed like you're voting towards the type of person you want to become and then if you actually go and fulfill that action i mean there's so many science proven things but just just generally speaking you feel good like doesn't even matter if you're comparing yourself to other people not even being awake yet but the fact that you didn't hit snooze when you could have you got out of bed when you could have stayed in bed and then you got your ass to the gym and then you did something and you're ready to go. Like, I love that feeling. Cause it's just a sense, like we're humans. Like we, we thrive on satisfaction and accomplishment and what better way than to create your own challenge to feel accomplished and then everything else just is bonus. Absolutely, man. So let's tell people a bit about your story. You know, what, what went down when this whole recent journey of yours, well, actually, I wouldn't even say recent, it's 20 years ago now, congratulations on, or no, was it 10, 10 years, years ago? Yep. 10 years ago now, yeah. uh, it's been a long week, but yeah, making it 10 years on surviving what you've been through and everything that it's given you, what it's added to your life instead of what it's taken away. But why don't you take it away and uh, tell everybody where your journeys led you to from where you've come from? Yeah. So, I mean, like you said earlier, I'm born and raised Cape Cod, Massachusetts. And then when I uh, was 16 or 17, I actually got expelled from high school because I missed the first month and a half of school. I was on a BMX trip and my parents and I forgot that I had school. Um, but I was also juggling full-time job landscaping and then traveling to compete and stuff like that. So it's a little fun fun fact about me, but I ended up uh, having my mom come, come in, uh, sign me out, officially withdraw, drop out of high school. And then I moved to North Carolina to pursue BMX as a career, you know, training with Dave Muir and the other professionals, um, an hour and a half here. So I'm in uh, Raleigh, but uh, Raleigh, Durham, but an hour and a half east is Greenville, North Carolina, East Carolina University. And it just happened to be a place where Dave and the other pros just built the the training mecca at the time. It was um, Sports Illustrated it titled uh, Pro Town USA because it was like 40, 50 pro BMX athletes living there at once, um, some coming in and out. And I just, you know, my parents saw me working hard. I went to a tech high school. So I was um, a technical high school. I was working two weeks and then going to academics two weeks, also competing. And so they saw the work ethic. They saw that I was able to provide for myself living at home. So I started paying rent and things like that. Um, but they saw that I was able to work hard for what I wanted to be true about my life. I wanted to, um, you know, ha have a good paying job. I wanted to do well in school and I wanted to ride my bike and I was working towards that. So when it, the... Um, you know, the time came where I got expelled. It was just a no-brainer that my parents supported me with officially withdrawing and then moving 13 hours south down here to train. And I was—is really that successful. why you guys moved there? Um, I moved on my own. Yeah, yeah, that's why I moved out here. Uh, 2000, it was like the winter 2007, 2008. It was right before 2008 that I moved out here um, 
kind of unofficially. I came out for a trip, got offered to do a month of uh, motocross BMX shows in Canada uh, from the West Coast to the East Coast. Made some good money. I was paying two hundred and fifty bucks uh, a month in rent, and I decided just to stay there. And then that led into developing sponsorships, developing opportunities to ride the Dew Tour and X Games, and uh, winning events, and you know just the works and. Um, so I went from being this 17-year-old high school dropout to a world-class professional athlete, getting paid to ride my bike, getting sent around the world, paid and sent around the world to perform and compete. And I just, I was, I was living it. You know, I was living beyond whatever fathomed being possible for my life. And then um, at the same time, I was also hiding behind the success. Um, you know, the, dis- the discipline equals freedom phrase comes in here, like. I thought because I was succeeding, I could just do whatever I want. That was true freedom. I had no discipline. It consisted of you know riding a couple times a day whenever, um, partying late night, chasing girls, drinking copious amounts of alcohol and sugar that I probably shouldn't have been drinking at any age, let alone 18, 19, 20. And um, I was just hiding behind my success. And at the same time, I was really emotionally broken and insecure. And so I was using all this success to kind of hide behind. And I thought, well, I'm successful. I don't need to take care of this, this, and that. Um, I can eat what I want, sleep or not sleep, and I'll be fine. Uh, but then my, um, my X Games uh, rookie year came up 2009. I w- that was a dream come true. And then the start of 2010 was when I hit my head training one day and had to get an MRI. And this was after a year and a half of complaining of headaches, vision loss, vomiting, classic symptoms of the brain tumor. But they looked at me by my cover and because of getting judged by my cover, I almost died. Like I didn't have a pain pill deficiency, even though they'd send me home with endless amounts of pain pills. But um, you know, the MRI report showed I had a massive brain tumor and I was by myself for that diagnosis. I was just turned 21 that year. And wow. uh, I was sitting there thinking like, oh, they're going to tell me like two weeks I can't ride, you know, typical concussion protocol. Uh, and then they just, yeah, they, they, uh, told me I had a brain tumor and I was just like, shit. And they also followed it up with, um, you know, we, we know if you don't do anything, you'll die. And if you want a shot at living, you know, preserving your life, you have to have surgery, uh, surgery. That's the only way out. But we also want to let you know, you'll probably never ride your bike again. And so at that moment, 21 years old by myself thinking it's just a concussion follow-up, I heard cancer, never going to ride your bike again. You may die. Like, I didn't know the difference between benign and malignant. I didn't, none of that mattered. I never thought about brain tumors, to be honest, until that day. And so I just thought I was, I was done. And um, that's what really started the path of me opening my mind to ways that I could preserve my life. And it started with the surgery. That, there, was, there was no options. It was surgery or die. It's just a matter of when. So, um, so they kind of blew off the initial prognosis because they thought yeah this this guy's just riding bmx bikes that's why he has has headaches he's probably suffered too many you know falls and that's why his brains you know that's why his head's hurting that's why he's having vision problems so that that was kind of like what you went through when you first started going to the doctors yeah it was multiple times over the course of a year prior to that diagnosis that i'd gone in friends would have to drive me sometimes it was so bad and they just kept saying like oh you're young you're an athlete you're in shape it doesn't there's nothing abnormal about your blood work they refused to give me an image i, I didn't know to ask for an mri i was like, like shouldn't we like look at my brain x-ray cat scan something mri like i just listed everything i knew and they and i had health insurance i was paying for health insurance so there was no excuse there and they just kept telling me, like, you don't need one. You just have headaches. It's quite normal. And they'd send me on my way, tell me to come back if I need more pain pills. But they just said it was a, it was a, you know, a pretty common thing in America. And, yeah, just that was it. That's wild. So, thankfully, I hit my head. Otherwise, I'd be dead. <laughs> right. <tonight. laughs> so, where'd you go from there? I mean, so 
you're at 21 years old and you got to make the decision going for brain surgery to save your life pretty much. Yeah. It wasn't really a decision. You know, it was just like, I, it was like the decision was to not have it, I'd say. And that wasn't an option. It was, it was like, have it potentially live. Don't have it. You are going to die. Just a matter mm -hmm. of a month or two based on my surgeon's um, recommendation wow. um, or opinion about that. So it was, it was about a week and a half between diagnosis and surgery. And my surgeon actually moved some patients out of his, um, or away from the, like that portion of his schedule to get me in sooner because it was like my case was so severe. And I thought that was pretty uh, profound to think about. And uh, it was about a week and a half. During that time, I just obviously went through the victim mentality. Like, you know, why me? What did I do to deserve this? Why is this happening? Like all these things. And it's just nonstop fear. But about halfway through that, it just started to click. That I was like, all right, well, I don't have any options. I have surgery. I could potentially live. I don't have surgery. I'm going to die. Then I learned about Lance Armstrong's story. And I was like, oh. Another cyclist went through brain, lung, and testicular cancer, came back to the level that he competed at, whether people agree with how he did it or if that's even true or whatever. Like to get to that level is so gnarly. And I didn't go through chemo. You know, I had radiation, um, the second diagnosis, which we'll talk about later. But this guy went through the works and his body, like if you read his book, his and seen the photos, his body was destroyed. Yeah. And he got back to it. And so that gave me a belief because someone that went through something similar to me was able to overcome it and beyond i was like oh i can do it too same thing with bmx i saw this dude do a trick you know dave mirror did a backflip tail whip i was like oh that's possible maybe i'll do that one day and that's what i work towards but it was that and my mom understanding that she went through uh colon cancer and was alive and well and i was like all right two people that are meaningful to me in my life did something similar and are good today then i can do this so when people talk about fear and they ask me about, you know, were you scared for the surgery? Honestly, I wasn't scared at all be before the surgery because there was, there was no reason to be because that was the only option. I was scared for my life when they diagnosed me. And that's the difference I talk about with perceived fear with people, which we have a ton of that in today's society. Like fear, just it's an emotion that comes from your thoughts. Because when I, they diagnosed me, I thought I was dead. That was my initial reaction. I'm going to die. So of course I broke down. I was afraid. I just, all the works. When it came to surgery, I had to say, I love you and goodbye to my parents and my grandparents and my brother. And I had to, I had to surrender my life to a team of surgeons that I did, hardly knew and hope I was going to be okay. And that's another thing. I wasn't worried about, you know, what happens if I don't wake up because of my understanding of visualization and BMX, I just continued to focus all my energy on what I wanted to do when I woke up. There was no, if I wake up, it was like, I have to believe I'm going to wake up. What am I going to do after I'm going I'm to ride my bike and I'm going to, you know, the mentality that Lance talks about in this book about how you're just like, I'm going to be a robot. I'm going to do so like, I'm going to be so strict. I'm going to train this and that, that kind of windows down when you settle back to reality after you come out of surgery. But that was the mindset I had. I was like, that was, I just focused on what I'm going to do when I wake up. And that's so important too, because I've, I've, the mindset can overtake you, especially when you get some sort of a diagnosis like cancer, like tumors and stuff. I mean, I, I go to Dana-Farber in Boston, one of the best cancer centers in the Northeast. And people who have had diagnosis that are in our region in Western Massachusetts who get a prognosis where a doctor is telling them, you know, you only got six months to live. You only have you know, a certain amount of time. I've told them to go out there and the doctors down there, they're saying, number one, the first thing you need to accept is that you're going to live like hundred percent before we even tell you what your treatment plan is. You're going to probably have a tough road hundred percent, but 
you are going to live no matter what. Because if you think you're not, you're probably going to be right. It's all going to start with your mindset. And it, I thought that was amazing for a place that's a big, such a mainstream medicine type of place that that's the first thing they tell people. And since I've heard that, since I started going there, that's some of the first things they told me was just have that mindset that no matter what happens, comes back, doesn't come back, whatever, you're going to keep on trucking along. And it's like you had that before they even, you know, told you to say whatever you should say to your family. Like you're thinking to yourself what you're going to do when you wake up. And that's so important, man. Yeah. I mean, I believe that too. And like, that's, that's the thing that I love sharing with people. It's like, you know, you learn about your autonomic nervous system and it's like, you don't have to think about your heart pumping its blood. You don't have to think about your cells regenerating and metabolizing food. Like your unconscious mind was given these gifts of learning when you were born. But if you manipulate that with fear, then you can change it unconsciously and the same thing's going to happen in an opposite effect. But if you truly believe that you're going to, on a cellular level, your unconscious mind will act accordingly. And that's the power of what I do today with my life and what I help people with is understand their conscious awareness to the way they think, the way they feel, and the way they behave, because that creates your reality. If you're suffering every day, that's a clear indication that you're thinking and you're feeling in a way that creates that. Like, and the, one of the best quotes I've ever heard about that is like, your outer world is a reflection of your inner world. So if you think and you believe and you feel like life happens to you, your unconscious mind is going to lead you ways to create that reality to affirm your beliefs to yourself. But the same thing is, goes the opposite way. If you truly believe, feel, and think that good things happen to you, life is great, life is fun, and you have that positive mindset that people call it, your unconscious mind is going to give you examples by the way you behave and show up to affirm that belief. It's all about our unconscious mind and our ego confirming our identity based on our time and space and how we show up there. There is no right or wrong. It is what it is, but your unconscious mind acts accordingly. And I've talked to surgeons and said the same thing. They said that patient should have survived, but they truly believe that they wouldn't wake up. And that's, you know, they can't say for sure, of course, but they're like, there's no reason why that patient shouldn't have woken up. And sometimes they're like that patient that the odds were stacked against them. There's no way, you know, but somehow they believed enough. And it's like, that's the mystical happening. And like Dr. Joe Dispenza does his works all about demystifying the mystical. And it's just so many stories from him about the same thing where people shouldn't have woken up or overcome something, or they were terminally ill because the doctor said so, but they, they challenged it. They're like, no, screw that. I'm, I'm going to win. And it's like, all right, like that, that, it's just, yeah, it's not so easy, but if you have that belief that's strong enough, like things can happen that you would have never imagined. It's not easy because we're conditioned for so long to yep. believe it in that opposite sense that life happens to you. And when and we're you put in a box. Yeah. And when you when you adopt the mindset of life not happening to you, but you're going to happen to life, it changes absolutely everything. I mean, just a couple weeks ago when you and I got on that first call just to do the discovery call and I'm telling you some of my story and I said my cancer and you jumped right in, you said don't affirm that. Don't affirm that that is your cancer. Don't affirm that when you tell that story, it was a cancer. It was something you went through, but don't own it. Don't, don't accept that. And I, I had a similar break in my mindset years ago where they had done so much uh, radiation with CAT scans and stuff that I was like, it's going to come back. It's going to come back. And once I got into a lot of these mindset types of things, I had someone kind of jump in on a conversation like you did with me and say, you know, don't say that you're never going to get it again. Don't, don't, 
don't think anything other than that. And that mindset, just those simple little things of what you tell yourself translates that that automatic response when you talk about that stuff is what's going on inside. And when you can condition that to say, I'm going to be fine, I'm actually going to be awesome as no matter what happens, but especially that thing that traumatized me or whatever I went through, um, it's not coming back and I'm going to yeah. be good. Like it's so important. For sure. And I mean, I experienced the same thing between my first two diagnoses. I was so in fear of it coming back, meaning my focus was worrying, was stress about it coming back. So my energy was going towards that emotion. It came back. And then between the second and third diagnosis, it wasn't so much. And that's why I believe I saw a five-year difference in the second and third diagnosis opposed to two years from the first and second. And then the third diagnosis, I had been learning so much about epigenetics, the expression of our genes, which they, um, they estimate is about 70 to 75% of our genetic makeup we can influence with lifestyle, with the way we think, the way we our feelings, our emotions, and the way we eat and move our body, all these things, we can affect our genetic expression up to 70 75%. Like that's pretty, pretty, profo- pretty profound and phenomenal. And I was also learning, we were talking about keto and the ketosis and all that stuff. Like I was learning about that at the same time. And I was like, third diagnosis, I... I know I have radiation as an option. Surgery is out of the question because they're, they're too small. The risks are, um, are the same as before, but it's just not worth to open up my skull to try and remove them, and then the surrounding tissue may still be infected. So I was like, all right, well, before radiation, before any kind of drugs or chemo or whatever, like I'm going to get my mind right. I'm going to get my diet right. I'm going to exercise in a specific manner. And I'm just going to focus on what I want to be true about my life and not worry about what I don't want. That was February 2017, the third diagnosis. 2018 and 2019, nothing had changed. No, no growth, nothing. And um, it's been this, uh, what would it be 2021? This will be four years this February if I get an MRI. I still don't think I need to get an MRI, uh, but my girlfriend, for peace of mind, is encouraging me to. Um, but I, I'm actually curious to see if I'll start seeing them shrink over the years. Um, but who knows? But at the very least, they're stable. And so they're able to pop up in a one-year span. Uh, so there was five years from second and third diagnosis. I want to explain this so it makes sense. Second and third diagnosis, five years. Um, the year before I was diagnosed, the scan was clean. The following year, they popped up. Two of them popped up. Uh, and then after that, nothing. So I was like, well, in one year, clean scan to having two tumors. And then the next year, no growth whatsoever. And then again, the next year, no growth whatsoever. There's something to this. And that's, I, I believe I've been learning more, but I believe it's the power of your mind and then how you live your life. Um, the foods, the, the thoughts, the exercise, it's all, I believe disease comes from dis-ease, which is stress. Like we, we live in the most stress we've ever lived in as human beings from the toxins to the lifestyle to being cramped in at home now, like all these things and then constant fear, which is stress. And I think when you kind of audit that for your reality and then you make changes to it, you'll see similar things that we're talking about. And that's just my story affirms my beliefs. And that's just what I love sharing with people because it's just like, I mean, it's up to you. You can believe it or not, but you're going to be better off if you believe it and then actually work towards that and feel it deep down. So what was the major change between that year when the, when the scans showed something, you know, did something major change in your mindset in that time period when that tumor, those tumors popped up and then when they didn't grow at all the following year, was there something that happened in that time span? 
Yeah, so that was right around uh, give or take a couple months. Well, I think it was like the year, um, the last scan that was clean. I think that's when I came into Dr. Joe Dispenza's work and learning about the conscious mind, yeah. the unconscious mind. And then I started really honing in on that. So of course, when something devastating happens, you're going to get more focused on what it takes to overcome that. So I just went all in on that. But then I started testing my blood to see my blood sugar levels and then if I had ketones in my blood or not. And I was learning more and more about um, diet on a cellular level and how stress also affects your metabolism, which affects your epigenetics or your gene expression and then exercise and all these things. So I just, what I really did was I focused on becoming more aware of how I was living my life um, inside and out. And I just tried to do everything I could to alleviate stress as much as I could. Um, one of the biggest things that anyone in America, um, the world in general, but in America specifically, um, or any westernized country can do is lower the blood sugar. Yeah. And when we say that, we're talking about optimal levels. Like if your blood sugar is over 100 um, at any given time beyond eating something, like you got some problems, you got some work to do. Um, and if you can lower that to 80 to 100, and this is all technical work, but um, when you test your blood, it's in increments of, uh, I believe it's millimoles per deciliter. But um, if you can get your blood sugar dialed in, you're going to be creating less stress because you're going to be creating less what's called free radicals. Everyone's heard of free radicals. That's why we right. use antioxidants. Free radicals are, are also referred to as reactive oxygen species. So they're a natural consequence of metabolism that it period like you can't have metabolism without creating them the difference is carb carbohydrates sugar carbohydrates break down to sugar you can't you can't avoid that sugar creates more free radicals or more reactive oxygen species than fat and ketones so when you can get your body to burn fat primarily for fuel you lower your reactive oxygen species which lowers your inflammation all of that is reducing stress. And on a cellular level, that's getting genetics to their expression to change differently. And so if you take these concepts and then you apply the mental aspect of stress, the exercise aspect of stress, and you get them dialed in to where you're alleviating so much stress, that's what I believe was what was helping me and what continues to help me today. And I just continue to go more and more all in on those. And I can see it. I can feel it. And I think so differently. I know you and Jesse talk a lot about this. That's why her and I connect is over the mental aspects of following a ketogenic lifestyle or even a low-carb lifestyle. It literally all comes down to blood sugar. And if anyone's listening is really interested in learning that on a deeper level and the history behind it, the book Grain Brain by Dr. David Perlmutter, that's what changed my world in 2013. I got really dialed in on lowering my carbs and upping my fat. I wasn't keto or like I wasn't really in that threshold. But that laid the foundation of just understanding brain health and performance and how it relates to one of the most important things we do every day as living human beings is putting things in our mouths to provide energy and nourishment. If you can really audit that on top of the other things, like it's, it's a night and day change. And we see it in people's physical form as well as their energy and how they show up in the day. Yeah. Despite the grays that I might have now at 40 years old, I mean, I've had people tell me like you look not only happier, but you look actually younger and healthier now than you did five years ago. And I look at the pictures, even when I was heavy into training and boxing after my second cancer diagnosis, I had my doctors tell me kind of the same thing. You're, you're never going to box again. You're stupid if you do all that kind of stuff. And all I did was light a fire, you know, stupid. Yeah. Oh, 
dumb jock yeah. kind of guys. Like, I would have yeah. never thought you were in your forties as well. Yeah. I just turned 40 this year. But like, if you look at pictures from five years ago, no. like, yeah, maybe a little bit more hair, maybe it had a little more color to it, but still like you can notice a physical change. Right. And the only thing that really that has changed in my, I didn't change where I live. I didn't change really too much about where I work. I mean, some of the stress that I have in the line of work I'm in now is a little bit less than, than being in law enforcement where I was a few years back, but still like diet, and the mindset's been a huge thing. Joe Dispenza has been monumental in that mindset change in my life. I've I've had his clips on here quite a few times, and I've hooked up with um, one of his his. Um, I think she's like a program director, but okay. um, amazing, amazing stuff that he does with the world about changing your mindset. And just the scientific portion of it is what really grabs a hold of me with the stuff that he talks about. Like the, the micro side of the universe fascinates me now more than anything. I mean, he talks about how stress and diet can, can shorten the telomeres of your DNA, which okay. is actually like a genetic version of what your lifespan is going to look like. And you can shorten and lengthen them by your lifestyle, your practices. And that just like, just knowing that, knowing that the stressful, fearful thoughts, just the things you might watch on TV or the internet, those kind of things that start making you feel more stressed out. I mean, I don't even watch scary movies anymore because I don't want to produce the stress in my life. Him saying that is what got me to think like even video games and how he, yeah. and I was like, that's interesting. I never thought of it that way. That that in the, to the music you listen to and all that stuff. It's such yeah. an influence. I'm yeah. glad you brought up telomeres because I where you were going with like looking older then and looking younger now. I was going to mention that, so I'm glad that you mentioned that. But I think it's um, in his book, Becoming Supernatural. He yep. goes in depth about epigenetics, and because I mean, in all of his work, he talks about how we get addicted to our hormones or our emotions, and how our hormones affect our cells. And then if you're not getting this cellular response all of a sudden because you made a change, that's why change is so hard. Your body actually freaks out and is like, "No, we want that," even though it's undesirable. Uh, but I think it's supernatural. Becoming supernatural, he talks about epigenetics. I think one of the first portion of the book. Um, and really, I mean, as you know, he paints a picture really well for anyone to understand the complicated information. And like, I love his like tagline of like demystifying the mystical yep. because until him, you know, the whole woohoo thing, like fairies are talking and this and that, like, I always thought that's what it was. And then when he broke down the science and like got into it, I was like, oh, I can wrap my mind around this. I mean, I think I'll all like forever be trying to understand the basics of quantum physics, but the way he breaks it down and breaking the habit of being yourself, I like, I actually get it now. Like, and now information is always flowing because we are information and you raising your energy level could be the difference of you getting the information you want or not. And so I think that's another thing we have in common is like just the work he does has been life-changing. Yeah. Breaking the habit of being yourself was probably the one that was, I, I don't know. I, I could say almost like transformative, but that's like an understatement. Like yeah. <laughs> you get so addicted to the hormones of, of everything and the way that you react to people, you know, the way that you interact with people and you just don't realize it until you break that habit. And then when you're able to unzip yourself, reprogram how you knee jerk react, which takes a long time. A lot of people, they try and go down those roads. They get discouraged because they don't see the immediate results because we're all in that, you know, instantaneous gratification mindset in today's world. But when things don't work out in the first week of doing something, whether it's changing your mindset or 
a gym routine. You know, everybody does that, that new year's resolution yep. thing and it lasts a few months and you know, you don't go to the gym anymore, but the same thing, what goes with the mindset and they just don't see the instant results and then they give it up. This stuff takes a while. And some people, it takes a really long time. You know, if you got such a huge ego, if you're overriding it, just a ton of fearful responses and hateful responses to, to everybody around you, it takes a long time to unprogram that stuff. But I mean, once you do and you look back on who you used to be, um, it, it's, it's night and day. You're almost like, why didn't I do this sooner? You know, you really look at like, man, the years I wasted. And I mean, as long as you change the mindset right away, most people who are listening to a show like this are either on that path, well on it, or just starting on it. But uh, you know, it doesn't matter when you start, it's never too late to start it. And once you do the rewards of that entire lifestyle change is just so invaluable. Yeah, hundred percent. And did we talk on our last call about atomic habits by James clear? No. What is that? So I haven't heard of that a, one. It's a book called Atomic Habits, and the author is James Clear. He's well well um, versed in psychology, neuro-linguistic programming, and uh, he writes really, really fascinating because he's all about optimizing and optimization. And the, what you were just talking about reminds me when Dr. Joe talks about going from thinking to doing to becoming. So we set these goals. We're focused on outcomes. We want something to change about our lives. That may lead into the middle of the, so let me back up. James breaks down the golden circle. Um, people are probably familiar with Simon Sinek, how he talks about it's not what you do, it's why you do it. And then that leads into how, and then what is a byproduct of that. James breaks down the golden circle in terms of habits. At the core is the identity. The middle layer is the systems or processes and the outer layer is the outcomes. He talks about most people, we set goals outward, inward, or we start outward or on the outside, and then we work our way in. That's why people either restart their same goals again and again or every year, or they may reach their goals and then it's short-lived. But when you focus on the identity piece and then the process, the outcome is just a natural consequence. And Dr. Joe talks about this all the time. You know, you have an outcome in your mind, you have a focus, but focus on the way you think, the way you feel, and the way you behave in that moment. So like, let's say you want to become a millionaire, for example, or you want to lose 100 pounds. Those are really good examples that are really easy. So that's, that sets your target. Like that sets your sights on a target. That's the goal. That's the outcome. Okay. Now, how does that person think? How does that person feel emotionally? And how does that person behave? If you set the targets on an outcome and then you redirect the goal is to becoming that person now that has that life, you're going to live that, that, that system, that process is just a natural way of living. You can't help but get closer if not have that exact outcome. And so James breaks down the book based on those principles that Dr. Joe talks about. It's not the outcome. You focus on how you'll feel by having that outcome. And he talks about it's not cause equals effect. You know, he talks about causing effect or affecting a cause, whichever one it is. I always get them mixed up, but it's, it's no longer the Newtonian model of physics. It's quantum. You, know, you If you can generate those feelings and that belief in yourself and that thought process, that is your personality. That's going to that's gonna lead you to behaving a certain way that's going to get you closer or further away. James refers to it as voting. You vote on the type of person you want to become or the opposite, and the outcome comes after that. And I think that's something really interesting that changed my world in the last year or so is thinking, okay, I have these goals, but is that changing who I am at my core? Because procrastination is nothing but fear. It's disguised as procrastination, but it's fear. But if you can get in touch with yourself and work on reducing your emotional baggage and checking it, getting rid of it, you're going to be taking action that you maybe weren't before, but that's going to get you closer to your outcome that you want. 
And so the, the goal shouldn't be to focus on the outcome. The goal should be to focus on the person and how that version of you thinks, feels, and behaves. So does that make sense? Yeah. And it's it takes that, like he said, demystifying the mystical. It yep. takes those those buzzwords of manifestation and stuff like that, and it applies them into real life scientific. Yep. You know, it can be a metaphysical concept, but it also brings it into actual science-based reality, cause yep. and effect, effect and cause. And when you put those things together, you'll see that they're no different than each other. It's just like all the other, we just did an episode on the 12 universal laws and, and hermetic principles was another one we just did a few months ago. And as above, so below these things just reflect each other they're they're the same they're just opposite ends of the spectrums but they will often lead you to the same end results and when you live it forward that stuff can't help but come to you when you take that mindset and like the opposite if you have the opposite of an optimistic person if you have negative experiences with people if they're constant you're encountering people and you don't like them they can sense that they're not going to like you back most of the time so what's your experience going to be it's going to be one that is confrontational it's unpleasant like you're magnetizing that experience to you and it goes across everything it's just not interpersonal relationships it's your health it's your diet and it goes right down to your cellular molecular level uh but it's it's all absolutely connected and when you shift those things the small little changes that i always talk about on the show the smallest little steps that you can take initially you'll start to see those results just like when you first step into the gym if you're somebody who never did anything with fitness and you go and decide that's something i want to do you'll notice the changes almost instantaneously you'll notice some of your biggest gains happen in the beginning and then as time goes on it kind of things go a little bit more gradual whether that's in the spirituals aspect or um in the gym and stuff but it's it's the same exact thing you'll notice your your growth happens faster in the beginning you just have to take the first step yeah exactly and i mean that's what james talks about with like your votes they all add up it's not about being perfect it's about a majority vote so he uses the gym example as well he's like don't make the goal to go to the gym for an hour five days a week and do all this x y and z make the goal to just get to the gym see what happens after that make the goal to meditate for a minute and see what happens after that you're going to do more than that, obviously. But if you're in your mind, you just make the goal as simple and as easy to like, even we're running because he's a runner. He's like, the goal should be when you get home from work in the first five minutes, put your running shoes on and get out the door. Just, just do that. See what happens. And I think when, and I can speak from experience, I think we all can as humans, we make things overly complicated, but when we have these big aspirations, these big goals or outcomes we're working towards, we think so deep and like, it has to be perfect. And I got to do all this. Like, it's like, no, less is more. If you, can, if you can set a goal that's so simple, just go to the grocery store and don't buy soda this week. That's it. Just don't buy soda. Or go to the gym. Just go to the gym. See what happens. Go on a walk. Like Whatever. Just something simple. It just compounds. Because every time you do something as simple as that is, you're affirming that identity to yourself that you want. You're voting towards that type of person. And the more you live it, the more you build that belief of yourself. It's like, that's why I don't like affirmations. Because for someone to sit there that's unhealthy and everything in their environment tells them they're unhealthy or they're broke or whatever. And they're like, I am super wealthy. I am abundant. I am healthy. And they don't feel it. Dr. Joe talks about this incoherence with the mind and body. That's not going to do anything, but probably cause more stress. Right. So I don't like affirmations unless they're very strategically placed. So that way you're not having that incoherence. But it's the same thing. Like if you can just focus on doing something that affirms something 
on a on an emotional level that you can believe like you can find evidence like oh i went to the gym today i'm the type of person that goes to the gym not oh i didn't go to the gym five hours this week and then do a million reps or whatever it was and max weights and like no you want to be your outcome is to lose weight to get fit whatever it is well you have to become the type of person that goes to the gym and does that so by you going to the gym and leaving at that like you're the type of person that does that and as human beings we're not going to stop there because we're like oh yeah this feels good well, let me let me go do a squat real quick or like let me go on the elliptical let's see what that feels like and then it just builds and builds it's all about momentum and that actually brings me to the the question i get all the time is like josh how are you so motivated or how can you be so motivated to like not give up with living with four brain tumors or how can i be more motivated you don't want motivation what you want is that level of energy that's elevated in the moment you want that momentum you want real purpose for your life motivation i mean i've been to so many motivational events on the whatever topic it was the first moment that someone had a chance to do the opposite, they did. And I'm like, how can this happen? How can someone go to a Tony Robbins event and be like, yes, yes, I can. And then the first challenge, they're like, they break. Yeah. Because it doesn't align with their belief. I've been to keto events. Don't know why. They had bread and pasta and all this garbage outside. <laughs> and then, then the intermission, people were filling up on it. And I'm like, you were just like, yeah, ketones. Yeah, no, glucose is bad. And then you're eating carbs. And it's like, because motivation is just energy. It's just in a moment. But when you believe something about yourself and you have a purpose and you're developing momentum, that's what really people really want. They don't know it. It took me a while to figure that out. And I help people with that now. But like that's, that's it. It's just doing something to affirm a belief that you want. But you have to build evidence. It could be as simple as like, he used it because he's a writer. Um, when he was writing his book, he had struggles. Like, I'm not a writer. So he made a goal just to write a sentence every day. Well, I'm a writer. I wrote a sentence today and that turned into a paragraph. Now he's got a best-selling book selling millions of copies. It's the same fundamental properties and ideas and concepts for anything we want. It starts with the core of the identity and then it goes further out and you can't help but get somewhat close or the exact outcome you want or better. That's what Dr. Joe talks about. You step into the unknown, there's going to be shit you never imagined happening to you that is far beyond what you wanted. And I actually have been experiencing that as of lately. And it's just it just makes sense. It's just like, all right, like my brain couldn't consciously think this event to happen and something so profound beyond my, my thinking in this box occurred. But it makes sense. I've been doing the work. And I think if people just kind of took that in and just practice it a little bit, they'd be surprised with how much like feeling comes with that and how much success comes. And it just, it just keeps going. It's like a snowball. The more it rolls, the bigger it gets. But it can go downhill too. It can go the opposite. So it just... I think that's why it's important to audit. Like, are your actions and words aligned with what you want or are they focused on the wrong thing? Right. I mean, taking the first step is the biggest thing. I mean, I can speak about this podcast. The fact that you and I are even having this conversation in this forum is something not in a million years I would have said I was ever yeah. <laughs> going to do. And it honestly scared the hell out of me to do it. The judgment, uh, putting myself out there as a very private person. And I'm like, you know what? Because it's uncomfortable, I'm going to do it. Even if it's an episode or two, I'm going to do it. And here we are now with where it's at and what I'm doing with it. And like you said, I couldn't have planned this. Not in a million years could I have planned this. I don't think I could have pushed and grinded to get it where it is. It's just I aligned with it as much as I could and it naturally showed up. And you see that same result. It is a when a when a hypothesis repeats itself over and over with different people over and over again. How can anyone deny that it's not an absolute law, truth, whatever you want mm -hmm. to call it? But it, it happens with people over and over again. So 
what does that say? You know, it's a recipe that works. So follow the recipe and usually it's yeah. going to end up in, in ways that you can't imagine. Yeah, that's, that's the beauty of the unknown, but really it's the beauty of being aware of who you are. Um, our ego is there to protect us. And I like to use the analogy of software. It's like you're in 2020 running Windows 95. Like, of course, you're going to have problems. You need to upgrade it. It takes a lot of work to do that. It takes a lot of overcoming the insecurities and the fears. But like, that's all your programming. Your ego is your identity and programming. It's there to protect you. But it's built off of things before you were 12 years old that are irrelevant now and that the context is different. But like, until you learn that and understand that, you're going to be continuing in autopilot and wondering why you're getting the same results. And that's what I think you and I, what's interesting about people like us that have had such profound life or death situations is it forces you into that, that or it, it could more times than not, it forces you into a place of belief. Like I need to believe that I'm capable. I need to believe that I can overcome. I need to believe that I can optimize. And then that just spirals more and more to where you just you're taking in everything you can because you have this belief that you can be better because you 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 did it. But it also like your life was on the lines. So you if you wanted to live bad enough, you had to do something. That's not always the case for for people. But I find most people have this mentality when they're faced with a life or death situation because of that. And then we're able to share that with other people. My my whole effort with what I do is to avoid people going through something that you and I have gone through to wake up, because now I know it's a choice. It's a choice, like the whole ignorance is bliss bullshit. Like that's such a, that's, that's such a cop out. And I feel like that's such a, like a blanket of security that people hide behind because they don't want to face themselves. They don't want to believe that they are insecure. We all are. Even the com- greatest. Comfortable you know, we, lie. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's just like, but like Dr. Joe talks about it in Breaking the Habit, why change is so hard? Because it's so uncomfortable. But some of the greatest musicians or athletes like Jim Carrey, like I love the way he talks. He's like, it took fame and fortune to teach me that wouldn't make me happy. And I had to face myself and I had to be real. And then now he's just like living his best life. And you would have thought from outside, like, oh, like famous actor making millions and all traveling the world and this and that. He was miserable. And he talks about it. He had this wake up call one day where there was that fake missile that went off a couple of years ago and he was in Hawaii and he thought he was going to die. And then he just like woke up, he said. And it's just like the same thing. I feel like you and I, like when you're faced with death and you're like, oh shit, like this, this is real fear. Like I may die what do I want my life to be like? And I think that's why, you know, us having this episode or this conversation, this episode and you doing a podcast and all the other things that we do, I believe it's to inspire other people to believe in themselves before something tragic happens to them. Cause I believe we can all learn before that happens. And I think you and I are able to overcome it and able to take the way we have. And I don't think that's the case for a lot of people, nor do I think that is necessary. I don't think people have to go through anything we went through to wake up whether it's nutrition, it's their mind, it's their career, it's their relationships, it's whatever. Let's make a choice. Just really have a conversation. Are you happy with your life? If not, why do you think that is? If you can't figure it out, go talk to someone that can help you. And there's a lot of people out there. There's a lot of people out there that'll help you go through it. And even if you don't have that kind of inner circle, that's what shows like this are for. That's one of the first things I said when I first started doing this show was, this is the kind of thing that can help build your inner circle. And I'm always there to chat with anybody. I mean, I've had people send me private messages and instant messages and social media and all that kind of stuff. I'll just chat it up with anybody if I've got an available moment because I know what it's like not to have that. And shows like this and people like you are what helped me get through some of those darkest times and put me on the right road, open the doors for me, show me people like Joe Dispenza, uh, but it ended up getting me there 
And it led to a place that is just like, you want to stand on top of that mountaintop and tell everybody that if it's not this perspective that is attainable for you, there's one similar to it, whatever this means for you, but you don't know what it's like. I've been in those places. And if you knew that this was on the other side, there were a few key changes in your life. You're crazy if you don't move down those steps right now. Yeah, no, hundred percent. And I, I refer to that as virtual mentors, you know, like it took for me learning people like Lance Armstrong's story, um, Joe Rogan's podcast, people like Jim Carrey, um, Kerwin Ray, like these are people that I looked up to and that, I mean, we have so much uh, ability to consume people's word, their message, their content in podcast form, video form, social media, books, like all the above. So there's no excuses not to find your tribe. It may have to be from afar. I did that. I, I still, it's been 10 years I've been trying to meet Lance and just thank him for his, his story. I have the email saved from the letter I wrote back then. Um, so that's why I do what I do. And I see that as you, it's like being an opportunity to mentor people from afar or have conversation. I do the same thing. I talk to people as much as I can. I respond. I probably do more than I would actually like to do in reality because it takes time, but it's like, it's a part of my purpose. So it's really not. It's actually it's helping me live my purpose. And that's the, to me, that's the actual definition of success that I live by. It's if I can overcome something, if I can learn something, if I can progress and then help one other person, let alone many other people do the same thing in their lives, that's, that's success to me. It's not winning at the expense of others. It's not building my building and tearing others down like Gary Vee's analogy that he talks about all the time. It's like, no, I want other people to win too. Like I want everyone to be healthy and happy and to live their best life. There's enough to go around that we can all be up top and enjoy our lives, not have to argue or fight or, you know, things like that. So to me, that success is what we're doing. There's plenty of room at the top of the mountain. You know, if, yep. if, and when I get there, you know, all I'm doing is turn around to, to throw my hand out to help other people to the top because it's, you don't want to be there at that perspective alone. The more people you can help get there, I feel like that's one of the best gifts that you can not only give yourself, but give the world is to help other people gain that perspective, especially like this year, just, just seeing what other people are going through. I mean, there's a lot of people that I cross paths with who've really been through the shit in the past, you know, I'd say even like the last four or five years and they're now at this perspective where like yeah this year kind of sucks but to be honest i'm kind of good like that's kind of what everybody's really going through like yeah this year is not the greatest and and i'm seeing some going through some hard stuff but honestly i've had worse times in my life i've had more stress i've had more anxiety and i feel like those people are there to help the others who are really going through some of the really difficult stuff right now it's their time to go through the difficult stuff like many of us did in those past years. And a lot of us are in this perspective now to help those people through it. And there is an end, you know, the tide comes and goes and there is an end to all those, those negative times. You just, it's tough when you're going through the storm to realize you're going through the storm, but it has to end. That's universal law. It's, it's whatever you want to call it, but there's, there's a, a place for it. And the tide comes in and out and people like us are here to help people get to the other side. Yeah, man. Yeah, for sure. I, I 100% agree. I mean, this year was challenging for me at the beginning, but I'm grateful for it, just like all the other shit I've been through, because it, it taught me more about myself. It got me to look at what was important, where my focus was, what I could be doing better. And it's just been nothing but good. And I mean, on top of that, my family are healthy and alive and well. And so it's just like, all right, cool. Like this year is no different than last year to me. It just looks different, but it's not like the worst year ever. And unfortunately, for many people, like they've had some bad outcomes in terms of health, but what's different than last year same thing applied but no one was saying 2019 was the worst year ever but 
people still died. People still had challenges. People still lost their jobs or had breakups or divorces or whatever. It's just, it looks different. And I think that's something that, I don't know, that's just a different perspective I've taken over the years. It's like, there, it's just, it is what it is. We're human beings. So we give meaning to things and we say what's good or what's bad. But I think it's all the same. It's just information you choose to do with that information, what you choose to do with it. Absolutely. So give us a bit of info about, you know, what keto actually is and how it's benefiting you. Cause I mean, if people haven't caught that you're living with four tumors still, correct. It's in your four tumors in your brain and you're keeping them at bay. And you're even said that, you know, you're hopeful that you see, start seeing them reduce in size, you know, through the stuff that you do and surgery is not really an option for you. So that that is your, that is your focus and goal and keto is kind of helping you get there. So what does, what is it and what does it do and, and why are you so passionate about it? Yeah. So I think uh, first to define keto, it's just a catchphrase for all things pertaining to the state of ketosis. It's a metabolic state of producing ketones in your blood. It's burning fat at such a rate that you're producing ketones as leftovers, if you will, that can be used as energy as well. So they show present in your blood. If you're not burning fat at that rate, you're not going to have ketones in your blood. So keto is not a food. It's not a diet. A ketogenic diet is, which we can talk about, but keto isn't who you are, or what you do, or anything. It just it alludes to a metabolic state that is ketosis. Um, so I think that's the first thing people understand because keto is thrown, thrown around, in my mind, way too ignorantly and loosely. Um, it because again, it's a, it pertains to a metabolic state. You can get to that metabolic state in various different ways. Ketogenic diet is the most commonly known. It's what they uh, figured out that helped out epileptic patients back in the 30s or 40s. Um, so you can follow a ketogenic diet to create ketones in your blood, but there's other ways. You can do a low-carb diet with intermittent fasting. You can do prolonged fasting. You can do intense exercise. What those three come down to is lowering what's called glycogen. It's stored carbohydrates in your muscles and your liver. The thing about that is your liver can hold about a quarter of the amount of carbohydrates as your muscles can. And it can freely release into your bloodstream as needed by the brain and red blood cells and other things like that. The muscles, once it's in there, they have to burn it in the muscles. So that's why resistance training is so good. Cardio is what people think because it burns more calories, but it could also create more stress, which blunts your ability to burn fat and tap into glycogen unless you're doing very specific HIIT workouts and not so much time. It's That's a, another conversation. Yeah. But... To be able to burn fat at such a rate that you're producing ketones over time, you have to deplete glycogen levels to, or you have to lower them chronically. Um, so the, one of the best ways to do that is a ketogenic diet and fasting or a low carb diet and fasting or one of the other, there's so many combinations, but at the end of the day, you want to focus on reducing glycogen. Then after that, it comes maintaining it and it comes the adaptation process, becoming what's called fat adapted. And that's getting your blood ketones to a certain threshold. We measure ketones in millimoles, um, so 0.5 is the threshold where they say you're technically in nutritional ketosis, you're fat adapted based on your markers because you can get there. It takes time. Some people, you know, they, they, um, they may need to take some more time because they're insulin resistant and they have excess blood sugar levels, meaning their glycogen levels are full, so their blood sugar has risen now. So I guess I could back up and explain that a little bit better. Your glycogen, stored carbohydrates in your muscles, and your liver. When you eat carbohydrates, they break down to glucose. That goes in your bloodstream. That rises. So your pancreas secretes insulin. That helps lowering it by getting it into the cells for energy. 
over time, if you're bombarding yourself with energy, meaning you're putting too much fuel in the tank, it starts overfilling. And that's when your glycogen comes into play. It starts going into your glycogen stores. But over time, those start to overfill. So your blood sugar is just rising and rising. And your pancreas has to put out more insulin to, to put that energy into your cells. But they're full. So then it starts putting into the fat tissue. That's when we start getting physically fat, like larger, because the adipose tissue is growing and growing. Or you can also get at the same time visceral fat. That's the fat suffocating your organs. That's actually really dangerous. You can have both too. Like it's it's a um, not a good thing. So if people can understand, carbohydrates are fuel. Over time, your fuel tank fills up, especially when you're eating fat and proteins. You know, this is a normal diet, and that just starts to spill over, and then you you get get larger because it's just potential energy. It's just storing. It's like a bank account. It's just storing more and more energy. The problem is people eat in such a way that they're never withdrawing. They're, never, they're, just, they're just saving. They're just depositing energy into their fat tissue over time. So if you eat a low-carb diet, that's the first step. You start lowering your blood sugar intake. Over time, your body is going to start utilizing that blood sugar for energy rather than just storing as fat. Over time, if you continue that process, your glycogen levels start to lower as well because you're moving, you're not eating carbohydrates as much, so you're not filling them back up. And then once those start to lower to a chronic point, meaning long-term, because you're not um, over-bombarding your body with carbohydrates or energy, then it can start looking at fat to burn for fuel too. So the misconception is carbs are the only fuel. Well, fat is a good fuel too. It's actually the primary or the preferred fuel for your brain and other tissue because it doesn't create inflammation like we talked about earlier, um, the reactive oxygen species or free radicals. So if you follow a low-carb diet for long enough, you'll start depleting glycogen levels. And then you can start tapping into your fat. If you pair that with intermittent fasting, just by that definition, you have more time where you're not consuming energy, you're burning energy, it'll deplete the glycogen levels further, and then start tapping into your body fat. Now, exercise does the same thing. So if you pair that lifestyle, low carbohydrate, intermittent fasting, maybe prolonged fasting once a week or something like that, like 24 hours, um, and, and exercising, just moving your body or purposeful exercise in the gym just getting your body moving. You're just going through the energy more. You're utilizing more. You're not storing it. The ketogenic diet, I don't believe every human being that wants to benefit from ketosis needs to be on a ketogenic diet, meaning it's a high-fat diet, a moderate-protein, low-carb diet. Very specific. If your goal is just you're a normal, healthy person, you're not dealing with seizures, you're not dealing with cancer, you just want to be optimized. You want to get your brain functioning a little bit better, you want to reduce the telomere length, you want to reverse aging maybe, you want to just look better and feel better, you don't need to be on a ketogenic diet. That's specifically formulated based on uh, glucose and ketone ratios, neurotransmitters and all that for epileptic patients. That's a whole different department. For people like us, you can follow a low-carb diet and you don't need tons of fat. Actually, if you just eat fat to society not eating 200, 300 grams of fat a day, you're going to get more benefit in terms of body composition in a quicker manner. So when people talk about keto, they automatically think high-fat diet because that's what a ketogenic diet is. That's what all the people explain it, the influencers talk about. It's, it's, it's what I used to say too. But then when I really started to learn about metabolic flexibility, fat adaptation, and learning how these macros actually work to create ketones and learning about glycogen and mitochondria, I was like, oh, I can probably eat less fat and I'll see, you know, 
quicker improvements in my body composition and I'll see my ketones go up. Okay, cool. That works and pair it with fasting and exercise. So to keep all this simple, if you're not epileptic or dealing with cancer, you don't need to be on a 75% or higher fat ratio, 20% protein, five or less percent carbs. You can just lower your carbohydrates. I mean, it's, there's a lot of technical aspects in that, but just lower your carbohydrates, lower your fat, or just keep it where it is, and then just maybe prioritize protein, and then pair that with intermittent fasting. You know, a nice eight to twelve or eight to ten hour window to start with. You know, even twelve hours, like that's going to be better than eating all the time. And really, what you're doing is you're just burning through the glycogen. You're burning through all that fuel, and you're allowing your body to tap into the potential fuel, that savings account of energy in your body that is fat. So that sounds super complicated because I just feel like I rambled on and on. But um, it just it's 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 so much simpler than people make it. And you don't need to follow a high-fat diet to create ketones. You can just eat lower carbs, pair that with some intermittent fasting, meaning you're not eating from 8 a.m. to midnight. You're moving more, whether you go to the gym or you're just going on walks, you're just burning through the glycogen. And that's why resistance training is preferred over cardio, because you're burning the glycogen in your muscles and you're not taxing your nervous system with stress and cortisol, which actually blocks fat burning. That's why you see a lot of people that do chronic cardio and they, they haven't really changed their body composition in a year because they're just stressing themselves out. Um, so I hope that wasn't too confusing. I feel like I just rambled. Um, but yeah, no, it was, it was good info because I'm huge on fitness and, and keto is not something I've paid attention to too much, but the fact that cancer, number one, like, yeah, I don't leave it on the front forefront of my mind, but still I have to be mindful of the history that I've had and take whatever steps I possibly can. If something being proactive, yeah, if something could work to reduce my chances of, of ever having a recurrence, I'm obviously going to give it a shot and cancer like, like a fire, it needs a fuel source and it needs an environment that it can live in, you know, um, fire needs wood and it needs oxygen. Well, cancer, it needs an acidic environment and it needs sugar. It needs sugar to survive. So that right there, just depleting a sh its food source. Yeah is is huge for me i mean i've even gone down the road of even being how careful i am with my water intake i drink a ton of water every day but like the quality of the water that you drink is also a huge thing and making sure that you have alkaline water and that the ph isn't acidic and really keeping an eye on the ass the acidic type of stuff that you put into your diet um that's huge for me and i just i notice the immediate effects on how these things translate into your life i've recently cut out beef which i can't believe i'm saying that but I actually have cut out beef almost a month now and I just how much better I've felt overall with that and increasing uh, just a vegetable based proteins. It just I have a higher increase uh, right now in the amount of protein that I eat in my diet than I've had in years. And it just the combination works, you know, and everybody's different. It works different yep. for every single person. But um, when you understand the science of some of the stuff, and there's also something to be said about the intermittent fasting, too. I've done that recently for the last couple of years off and on. But being hungry, I feel like physically when you're actually putting yourself into a state where you're hungry puts you in another state of like a hunger mentally as well because you got to overcome how many of us don't have immediate access to food i mean there's a lot of people who don't have the fortune of that but a lot of us in the western society we're hungry we, we can go grab something anywhere it's we're just order off our phone <laughs> it's oh yeah everything's right at our fingertips so when you consciously choose to put yourself in that uncomfortable state of hunger for a specific amount of time and you kind of have to outlast it i kind of compare that to 
not hitting the snooze button. As soon as your alarm goes off, you're on your feet before you silence the alarm. I kind of put my put put the mindset kind of thing in that when it comes to fasting, because fasting does take some effort to say, like, I'm not going to eat until noon. Um, and, you know, you're sitting there counting down the minutes at 1155 and waiting till noontime hits. But it's it's a mental it's just sort of a mental thing. I feel like you can kind of add something to your mentality in your life. Yeah, I mean, and fasting becomes effortless once you're fat adapted, meaning your body can tap into fat. It's what we refer to as metabolic flexibility. It can burn fat for fuel, or when carbohydrates come to the picture, it can burn it and use it for energy rather than storing it as fat. And so I like to have, like when I work with clients on uh, body composition and we get into diet, before we get into fasting, we get fat adapted, meaning I go over a simple analogy. Carbs are the limit, protein is the target, and fat becomes a lever. If you're not hungry, you don't need to eat 20 more grams of fat just to hit your fat macros because that's going to help you tap into body fat. Now, we don't worry about fatting or uh, fasting. I just say, eat when you're hungry. If you're not hungry, don't eat. You don't need to focus on that. You don't need to stress about that. Over time, over a couple of weeks, you'll see that your hunger actually starts, and that's why ketones actually have a profound effect on ghrelin, the hunger hormone, among other things. But um, it starts to reduce your appetite, suppresses your hunger naturally because it's tapping into its fat stores on the body. So fasting, intermittent fasting especially, becomes effortless. I actually have to remind myself to eat sometimes like two o'clock because I haven't eaten yet. That's after I work out fasted in the morning. But I've been doing this for years to where my body's just accustomed to burning fat for fuel. Yeah, don't get me wrong, a 48-hour fast is definitely an effort um, because the psychological effect comes in. You see food and you're like, oh, I'm hungry, or you start thinking about food, or you know you have food in the fridge. That's a different game. But just to do a um, you know a twelve to sixteen hour intermittent fasting, that becomes really easy um, when you start getting fat adapted and utilizing the tools to do that. And then you mentioned the thing about cancer. Um, yeah, starving cancer from sugar is definitely one of the most profound shifts there. But then also reducing inflammation. Like yeah. I said before, carbs create more inflammation as a natural byproduct of metabolism. Fat and ketones reduce that. So then there you have that, and then you have ketones, which can be looked at energy and signaling molecules. So yeah, they're preferred energy by the brain, the eyes, the heart, and the lungs. And they actually show this in the presence of glucose and ketones, the brain will prioritize ketone metabolism before glucose. And that's really profound. Wow. But, then, but then also the signaling aspects, they, they regulate a whole bunch of different uh, genetic expressions in the body that help prevent um, inflammation further and reducing or reducing inflammation, but then also putting out internal antioxidants like glutathione, which the body can make. So you have a lot of things occurring, not just from an energy standpoint or burning fat, but from a genetic standpoint, which is all thanks to the mitochondria. Once you can get the mitochondria to, to train them to burn fat and ketones, then you have all of these systems. It's like, that's why they call it like, um, there's a documentary about keto called the, the magical pill or the magic pill or something like that. And it's like, people will say, it's like, because it does so many things, people are like, oh, this can't be real. But the one thing it's doing that gives it all of these benefits is targeting mitochondria. When you are taxing your mitochondria from constantly metabolizing sugar and your stress, which damages mitochondria, that's when your energy systems start to fail or start to lower. And that's when the problems start to happen. Just like the car, if you don't change the oil in your engine, your engine, like all the other things are going to start to go wrong over time. doesn't matter how much fuel you're putting in the tank. If the oil isn't changed, if the tires aren't changed, if the plugs and wires aren't replaced, your engine is going to break down. Your car is going to be useless. It's the same thing. And then on the terms of protein, ketones help spare muscle mass, meaning when you get to an anaerobic state, like high heart rate, low oxygen, that usually 
the the glucose um, deficit that's made up is from the form of your body attacking its muscle stores or the protein to break it down through a process called gluconeogenesis to create glucose. Ketones help prevent the tear down of muscle tissue. So you have a lot of benefits there. There's so many aspects, but what it's doing is it's targeting mitochondria. Mitochondria, for those that aren't aware or don't remember and from high school, it, it's, they refer to them as the powerhouse of your cell. It takes oxygen and fuel and creates ATP, which is what our body actually runs on. It's not calories, it's, it's ATP. Um, and ketones actually provide more ATP per molecule than carbs do. That's another fun fact. Um, so there's, there's just so many benefits to having ketones in your system, whether it's a ketogenic diet or it's fasting or it's low carbon fasting or it's exercise or it's exogenous ketones like, or it's MCT powder and oil. Like there's so many different things and tools that people can use that can create this state that has so many benefits, especially in the mind and cognitively. That's why I tell people, I was like, you want to optimize your brain performance, your cognitive enhancement, like you need to be lowering your blood sugar because that's going to raise your potential to have ketones. And if you're supplementing with exogenous ketones on top of that, you have the best of both worlds and you're just going to be basically fueled off rocket fuel. Love all the stuff you bring in the conversation, man. I mean, you got so much knowledge on this stuff that it's, it's, it's an honor to have you on here and actually sharing some of these things with people. I mean, especially everything about your story, you know, from, from, where you've gained all this knowledge, the motivation for you to want to seek this out. I mean, this wasn't something that I'm sure you ever thought you would actually have as a passion <laughs> in your life, you know, Not but at all. look at what the life circumstances and where it's brought you to um, want to bring this kind of knowledge to other people. And I, I'm absolutely fascinated about it. I've got to learn more about it myself. Um, like I said, I'm always trying to learn everything I can about fitness and I'm doing things now that I'm hoping I say, I wish I did this in my prime, but then also another part of me says, how do you know you've even hit your prime yet? You know, yeah. if you weren't doing all these things back in your twenties, who's to say that you can't, uh, you can't have a prime later on in life. I mean, God, look at Mike Tyson right now. I don't know if you saw his, his fight or what kind of I haven't seen it yet, but I, oh yeah, my I heard God. about it. <laughs> that guy was in such amazing shape at 54 years old to go into that, especially where he came from you saw him in the movie the hangover i mean he was he was a big guy you know but he's uh i mean he looks i'd say almost as good as he did at any given time in his in his career at his prime and i mean if we can do that now with the advances and all the things that he's done i mean i've heard some of the conversations he's had with people on everything he's done with his health to get himself into a really healthy state and a lot of it's got to do with what you're talking about um I'm fascinated by this stuff, man. I appreciate yeah, bringing yeah, all the knowledge. Sure. I mean, I, I got I got like, two resources that I'd love to recommend. I can share more off air with you. Um, but have you ever heard of a guy named Mark Sisson? Yes. So he's 67 and he's in better shape than I am. Yeah. He's got gray hair. That's the only reason you know he's a little bit older. Um, but he's a great guy. And he's a great example of prioritizing your health. Um, his book, The Keto Reset Diet, it's a phenomenal, broken down, simplified version of the science of keto. And then he obviously has um, a 21 day reset program and recipes and all that. But that's a great book to get into the basics of the things I just try to break down. And I apologize for getting so wrapped in the weeds. I'm like, in my mind, I'm trying to process so many things we're talking about. <laughs> and like, what I think is very simple now that I've understood it, I like trying to bring it back down. But um, that book does that really well, especially Grain Brain. That's the other book that was the first book again it's in 2000 it's from 2013 so it was before keto was really hot like it is today but he talks about that state but more of that book is just based on um the the ins and outs of carbohydrates and how that 
Um, it's all centered around blood sugar and brain performance and longevity and disease. I'd say that he's a neurologist. His father was a neurologist. I've met him and his son, who's also a neurologist now, he's the same age as I am. Um, so it runs in the family. But he was inspired to write that book after watching his father pass away from Alzheimer's. And then he did a lot of research into blood sugar. And they're calling Alzheimer's type 3 diabetes now because of the insulin resistance in the brain that contributes to the plaque formation and all the tangles and all that stuff. Um, but grain brain, keto reset diet, I think those are two fundamental books I always recommend that are very basic. And a third one, if you want to go into the science for epilepsy, cancer, Alzheimer's, PCOS, like everything that would be therapeutic, the ketogenic Bible, that's another great resource. You can look through it like a, like a resource. You don't need to read it through. Uh, but that's the history of how this all started, why fat's been demonized, why carbs have been manipulated, all that stuff, and then all the therapeutic approaches you could possibly want. And then, of course, they have recipes, a lot of great recipes, exercise plans, like whatever, just to get people in the, the basic fundamental voting for the type of person they want to become. We can leave it at that. But those are three great resources I'd recommend anyone read. And even as complicated as keto, uh, ketogenic Bible is, they write it so anyone can understand. Um, and they cite everything in there. I mean, I'll, I think all three books cite everything, but, um, those are just like, it's just, it's super, like, I don't, I can't, I, I don't even know how to explain the profound, um, aspects of those books that can have on someone's health just by implementing one thing they learn from them. So those are just my favorites to always recommend in terms of learning the basics to the complexity of the science and therapeutics. And if this guy's telling you that's the place to turn to this information, I'm guessing that's the place to go. <laughs> So tell us about some of the some of the things that you got going on. Tell us about the the foundation that you created and what it does. Yeah, so I started that. Let's see, um, end of two thousand sixteen, and then I ended up partnering with two foundations, so or two organizations, um, the Athlete Recovery Fund, which is a nonprofit started for professional athletes in action sports. They were there in two thousand ten to help me out with medical bills. My insurance didn't cover. Put my parents up in a hotel, and they helped us out. Um, so I, I've been partnering with them over the years to raise funds for different things for athletes and action sports. And then I'm also a board member of a nonprofit called Staff Strong, who was founded about two and a half, three years ago. And their mission is to raise funds for brain cancer research after um, one of the uh, family members passed away from a GBM. He was given 12 months. He fought for 25, but they started when he was in the hospital. And they, um, the story goes that GJ, who, who unfortunately passed away, when he wasn't working and he was in the hospital, he started growing a mustache because he thought it was going to be fun. And he's like, well, I, I have to go to work. So the whole family did. And that's how Staff Strong was, was formed. And then they asked me if um, I wanted to be on the board. Uh, unfortunately, GJ wanted to ask me when he was alive, but I guess you know we're all busy. Things never happened that way. But after his brother, Colin, who um, is the president, um, and you know him and his parents formed it, he reached out and asked me if I wanted to be a board member. And I was like, dude, that, I, of course, like, that's just, you know, obviously close to my heart and they're a great family, great, great cause. And, um, so yeah, I, uh, I just work with them now. And, um, I have, I have actually, I don't want to speak yet, but I came across someone with the same last name as me. I went to a talk of his a year ago at a networking event and we kicked it off. Um, you know, I, I resonated with his story. I introduced myself and long story short, year and a half later now, we, um, we're talking about doing some stuff together. And um, so there could, be, there could be something to do with the Perry Foundation again soon. But uh, when I originally started it, I was a little over ambitious. I didn't understand um, the legal aspect. 
the people you need, the, the funds to get it all dialed in. And I got overwhelmed. And then thankfully I came across ARF and Staff Strong. But um, I think I'll be doing something with the Perry name here soon with a similar mission as both of them, but something very specific that I don't see happening yet. Um, so maybe when that happens, we'll talk again um, here on the podcast. But yeah, so I just, yeah, I just partnered with two strong foundations just to provide my energy there. And um, for the time being, so we'll see. But yeah, I uh, definitely recommend checking out ARF and Staff Strong. Nice. All right, man. If people are looking to connect with you, where can they find you? I know you've got a website and they can find you on social media, but where can people connect with you? And also, you got your podcast. Yeah, yeah. Um, so everything social media is really simple. My website is joshperrybmx.com and Everything on Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, YouTube is Josh Perry BMX. Really simple. The story behind that is joshperry.com, Josh Perry on Instagram and all that was taken when I went for uh, to, to get it. And um, the URL, the domain name, they want like five grand for it. And I just, I can't come to terms with, with dropping that just to have BMX taken out of the URL. And then the Instagram name, he's, he hasn't been active in years. And I, once a year, twice a year, I DM him and no response. So maybe one day I'll, I'll get to uh, take it over. But um, yeah, it's just Josh Perry BMX. And um, yeah, the podcast, Jackie, my girlfriend and I, we started that two years ago or so. And then recently I've been kind of taking charge on that, doing my own episodes and um, having conversations with other people talking about fear, like moving through that. I, I it took me a minute to get there, but uh, it's called the Gray Matters podcast. And it's just like our take on talking about context and not everything is black and white. Like people uh, tend to think it is. So we just love talking about the conversations we just had, whether it's mindset, it's sex, it's health, it's relationships. It's, you know, Jackie's a former Taekwondo, Taekwondo team, US athlete, team USA athlete, and then I'm BMX. So we have a lot of conversations about that and just everything gray, you know, spin on gray matter, the brain and just life. So, um, so yeah, I, I'm pretty responsive on all of them, but mostly uh, probably I'd say Instagram and LinkedIn lately. But either way, I check them all. All right, my friend, it has been an awesome conversation and I'm really looking forward to having you back on the show so we can dive in a little bit deeper on some of the stuff that you do to help people find a better life through better health. Yeah, yeah. Thanks. I appreciate your time as well. I always appreciate the opportunity to share and I'm always uh, happy to share any other resources, information I can. So yeah, just let me know. A huge thanks to Josh Perry for stopping by the show. Uh, what an amazing guy, a huge fire for life still burning in him, despite everything that he's been through, all of the challenges, uh, to not only make it through those challenges, but to now be out there helping other people get that same mindset that no matter what happens in life, no matter how many brick walls come up in front of you, you can smash right through them and end up on the other side. And you never know what sort of life is waiting for you on that other side, just when you think things might look at their worst. You just have to have the mindset that no matter what the outcome is going to be, you're going to be fine. And whatever the outcome is that you're setting your mind to, that is what's going to show up. So an honor to have crossed paths with him. And if you have an interesting or inspiring story or perspective you'd like to share on the show, hit me up. We might be able to hook up for an episode. You can reach me at connect at livethislife.org. That's C-O-N-N-E-C-T at livethislife.org. You can also schedule a conceptual call by heading over to the show's Calendly. You can find that at calendly.com forward slash livethislife. That's C-A-L-E-N-D-L-Y dot com forward slash livethislife. Until next time, keep living.